Saturday morning cartoons were awesome. From the 1960s through the 1990s, we kicked off each weekend in a frenzy of animation that is unmatched today. But were these shows actually any good? Join us as we dig into the history of your favorite and not so favorite Saturday morning cartoons, look at the good, the bad, and the ugly of each one, and determine if our nostalgia matches the reality when it comes to these tunes. So stay in your PJs, grab a bowl of cereal, and settle in. I'm John. And I'm Robert. And this is Toon Talk. So, John, what do you like to do when you're bored? Wow, I really, I spend too much time reading comments about other people's posts on Facebook. (laughs) Yeah, there are better ways to spend your time. Yeah, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, if you were, if you were with Joseph Barbera and William Hanna, you would create a cartoon cat and mouse that would last more than 50, 60, 70, 80 years that would entertain people for you know decades but you yeah the the one thing separating me from hannah barbera is talent (laughs) (laughs) and and social media apparently talent and social media yeah (laughs) it's your hurdle because i mean i mean ultimately yeah tom and jerry they were born out of boredom while they were employed at mgm barbera and hannah were just kind of playing around with ideas what one point they're like well what can we do to have just like some animated short they played with you know a fox and a dog didn't like that dynamic thought maybe dog and a cat didn't like that dynamic then switched to well how about a cat and a mouse and they immediately clicked a classic story of cat and mouse yeah so so they put some things together put it you know put it down ran it by their fellow animators who all loved it all the colleagues loved it. And then they ran it by the producer, Fred Quimby, and he was not amused. He's like, yeah, fine, go ahead and do it, but don't plan on making any more of them because you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. Why are you messing around with these? We have other things to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they literally, that was it. They moved on to other things. They were reassigned to another project that they were working on. So the one short that they created that for Tom and Jerry, which they weren't even Tom and Jerry, it was just a cat and a mouse entitled Puss Gets the Boot that was released in theaters in 1940. Yeah. And the animation there, he was a real cat, like walked on all fours, kind of looked shaggy, almost like an alley cat and kind of a menacing looking cat. And really detailed. I mean, he, yes. he, was, he was quite detailed, uh, especially for the, the Jerry that we know later, because obviously animation to be cut short, you know, to do shortcuts, you do simple lines. And no, he was detailed. He was a he was a real realish cat as cartoons go. Yes. And he was actually named Jasper. He's actually called Jasper in that short. And the mouse, though, didn't officially have a name. They in pre-production, they named him Jinx. They never actually used the name, but it was distributed and it became kind of popular. You know, the mouse Jinx, come to think of it, in the movie uh, The Green Mile, one of the prisoners has a pet mouse and he calls the mouse Jinx. And I wonder if they got that from from Tom and Jerry. Could have been. Well, and it's interesting because they would Hannah and Barbera would use the name Jinx later when they get started their own studio and they started up their uh, Pixie and Dixie cartoons. Pixie and Dixie were the mice and Mr. Jinx was the cat. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. They had an affinity for the name Jinx. Yeah, it it worked for them. So they completed their cartoon. They moved on and a distributor from Texas, one of the main distributors, uh, film distributors in Texas, reached out to MGM saying, hey, when can we expect more of these, quote unquote, delightful cat and mouse cartoons? Yeah. So so Quimby being the uh, apparently the waffler was quickly pulls them aside and says, hey, fellas, make some more of those cat and mouse cartoons. Right. (laughs) The classic boss move. Right. Don't do that anymore. Oh, we're making money. Do more of that. 
<laughs> well, well, and really the classic boss move because so Puss Gets the Boot goes on to win an Oscar no- nomination for, yeah. for short subject cartoon. The director credit goes to Quimby. Quimby, of course. Not to Hannah Barbera. <laughs> oh, we've all been there, right? <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and so obviously they, they move over to those cartoons and they start churning them out over the next 17 years. They cranked out 114 Tom and Jerry Shores for the MGM Animation Studio. So of those 114 episodes, they had 13 Oscar nominations and seven wins. This was a phenomenally successful cartoon. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, compared, especially compared to other studios at that point, um, Disney was the dominant force in in animation Uh, through their silly symphonies and Mickey Mouse cartoons. They pretty much controlled animation especially the short subjects and then this cat and mouse come along and suddenly the game starts to change yeah and they actually tied disney for most oscar wins in a row at four at that time i don't know what the record is now but at that time they were tied with disney um, with four wins in a row yeah it was it was definitely an impressive run especially for something that wasn't supposed to be more than a one-off they were also doing um, other animation, Hannah and uh, Barbara at the time. They were doing World War II training videos as well as like kind of like their side hustle. You know, we'll, we'll do some of these uh, cartoons for the for the soldiers training for World War II, um, which I found ironic because they were often criticized for Tom and Jerry being too violent. <laughs> well, apparently this, their audience had the audience worked either way. It just depends on either it was very successful for a soldier or very violent for a child, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so everyone knows who Tom and Jerry are. Uh, there were other characters um, in these cartoons, but not a ton of characters, not a big cast. We had Spike the Bulldog and his son, Tyke. And obviously, a cat and a mouse are natural enemies, and a dog and a cat are natural enemies. And usually, Spike was trying to accomplish some task, like build his own dog house or, or guard something. And Tom and Jerry's antics would keep interrupting him, and he'd get angry, and he'd start chasing both of them. Um, and then Jerry would set him up so that he was more angry at Tom um, in the end. So... Spike also had a son named Tyke um, who got involved once in a while, but not a lot. Tom had a friend, an alley cat friend named Butch, and Butch kind of ran the the alley cat crew. And Toodles Galore, who was like the love interest of the cats. Oh, Hachimachi. Yes, yes. The the sexy cat Toodles Galore. Butch is interested in eating Jerry. He wants (laughs) Jerry as a meal. So he hangs out with Tom because he thinks he can get closer to Jerry that way. And Tom hangs out with Butch to get closer to Toodles. So there was kind of a a symbiotic relationship (laughs) there. There is a character called Nibbles, who is a a small orphan. He's a small mouse, smaller than Jerry, um, and rarely understands the danger that Tom provides. Kind of does his own thing, and it freaks Jerry out because Jerry doesn't want to interrupt the cat. You know, everything's fine. We're at peace. So Nibbles is normally just oblivious to... Tom the cat and the danger he shows to mice and Jerry's always trying to stop Nibbles um, from doing that so that's kind of funny that Jerry's got another problem now with Nibbles the cat isn't bad enough now he's got this other character antagonizing Tom which is something he doesn't want and all those Um, and, and all these characters what makes them effective is that they help change up that dynamic of the cat chasing the mouse 
over and over and over. Suddenly now you introduce a dog and then there's a, you know, sometimes there's the uneasy alliance between Spike and Jerry to kind of thwart Tom. And sometimes it's, you know, then you add Nibbles who then Jerry's not looking out for himself as much as he's looking out for Nibbles. And yeah, there's that dynamic shift would actually kind of helps keep these cartoons fresh as opposed to just, yeah. oh, here it is again. Right, yeah, let's let's mix this up. It's the, you know, classic, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And it kind of becomes this three-way circus of hilarity. <laughs> um, and the only real human character um, that plays a part in this is Mammy Two-Shoes, who is um, Tom's owner um, and is more concerned with the, the chaos Tom is creating in her house than the fact that she's got a mouse infestation in her house. <laughs> well, it always seems like she starts off, she's concerned about the mouse and then quickly realizes that by having Tom go after the mouse, this situation is going to get is going to escalate tremendously so yeah spilling the coal in the house and knocking over things and blowing stuff up <laughs> yeah and we have a lot to say about mammy two shoes um yes. the, name, the name alone should indicate that there's a conversation coming here but yeah <laughs> yeah there's something we need to talk about there for sure <laughs> Yeah. With all those characters, obviously, you know, you had to start with the first two and you have a cat and a mouse who aren't, nobody's happy with the name, the, the name Jasper and nobody really knows the name Jinx. So the, so the studio decides to hold a contest, like well, we need to come up with a name. Animator John Carr actually won $50 for suggesting the name Tom and Jerry. Now, there's some debate whether or not like a lot of people, well, it's Tom and Jerry. It's a fan, you know, it's a famous drink. That's where he came from. There's no confirmation from anything I could find. There's some people are like, oh, yeah, that's the case. And other people are like, well, no, yeah. not don't jump not really yet. So, yeah, yeah, it, it's a little up and down. But definitely it was John Carr who who pocketed his fifty dollars for, you know, that's a good chunk of change. And sure. In, in 1940. Yeah. I mean, you could buy a new car for like 300 bucks, right? So $50 was a good prize. Yeah. So they, with their new names, they went in and they started cranking out these shorts. And I think we can kind of talk a little bit about, especially the, the these Oscar winnings, because they, they had some success with these, with these cartoons. They earned Academy Award recognition for 13 of their shorts and seven Oscar wins from 1940 to 1954. Um, 1940, Puss Gets the Boot, their first one, was nominated for an Oscar. In 1941, The Night Before Christmas was nominated. In 1943, they got their first win with Yankee Doodle Mouse. They won with Mouse Trouble in 1944. They won in 1945, Quiet Please. 1946, Cat Concerto. So that's four in a row. And at that point, they had tied Disney um, for Oscar wins in a row with four. Then followed it up in 1947, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Mouse were nominated. 1948, The Little Orphan won the Oscar. In 1949, Hatch Up Your Troubles was nominated. 1950, Jerry's Cousin nominated. 1951, another win, The Two Musketeers. 1952, Johann Mouse won another Oscar. Um, and then in 1954, Touche Pussycat um, was nominated. So that's an impressive run in 12 years yeah they did okay yeah <laughs> yeah i well, mean it, you, you look at that there's only 1942 and 1953 the only two years they didn't even get a they didn't get a nomination which is is something significant incredible you know they nowadays if a professional sports team wins three championships in 10 years they call it a dynasty and and these guys they were on the board for 12 years yeah they're you the know, 
they're the New York Yankees or the Boston Celtics. Pick your sport. They're the uh, yeah, yeah, the, they're the gold the standard. Go- yeah, the gold standard, the goat of cartoons. <laughs> we don't have a time to talk about all of these Oscars wins, but but there are a couple that I think really have some historic significance um, for cartoons. Obviously, their first win, um, 1943, the Yankee Doodle Mouse released on June 26th, 1943. Of course, World War II is going on in the world. Um, The short features Tom and Jerry chasing each other in a pseudo warfare style. Um, They make a lot of references to World War II technologies such as Jeeps and dive bombers, um, clever use of common household items. So it was uh, kind of a war propaganda film, but really patriotic. And in 1943, that got a lot of attention. Yeah, at one point they um, actually. At one point they actually. Uh, there's a little quick sequence where I think Tom gets a uh, kind of gets flattened, and Jerry grabs him and licks him like he's a stamp, and yeah, he's, he 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 smashes into the wall, gets flat. He get like this little Hitler look on it, like the Hitler mustache, right? They slap you know, Jerry licks the stamp, yeah, slaps it on the wall and said, "Yeah, you know, lick Hitler." Yeah, you know, it's just yeah. kind of. Yeah. <laughs> Lick the Nazis. Propaganda. Yes. (laughs) And you didn't have to look far for a a villain in 1943. Right. Not jingoistic at all, but it was. uh, No. (laughs) They played to their audience. It it worked well because they got the win. They followed it up in 1944 with Mouse Trouble. Um, And Mouse Trouble is interesting. So Tom gets a book on how to catch mice. And for the whole cartoon, he's taking advice from this book on how to catch Jerry. And of course, he's failing and failing over and over and over again. At one point, Tom actually speaks because he learns that our cornered mouse never fights. So he decides to test this theory and pounces on Jerry in a corner. And Jerry fights back, which is what the book said he wouldn't do is the exact opposite of what the book said he would do. And then Tom stuck his head around the corner, he's all beat up. And he actually says, don't you believe it? Um, so he speaks to the camera, you know, I don't know where I got this book, but it's all a bunch of crap because I'm losing here. <laughs> so then Tom has finally had it and he is going to just end this once and for all. So he gets a bunch of TNT and gunpowder dynamite and he's going to blow Jerry up. So he lights the fuse and the fuse doesn't go fast enough. So of course he gets down and blows on the fuse and he blows too hard. Um, this causes the fuse to just blow up immediately. And, and in this cartoon, Tom actually dies. He becomes a spirit and you see him floating on a cloud to heaven. Well, and I love his face. Too, he's just annoyed. He's like, yes, yeah. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> I've been beaten. Yeah. Just disconcerted. <laughs> that book was useless this, this didn't go the way i wanted it to go at all <laughs> yeah it was almost like he was more disappointed in himself than than worried that he died yeah, it's like yeah the, the death wasn't the big thing it was just like well that didn't work at all <laughs> what a waste what a waste of time exactly <laughs> the next one um that i thought was really cool is the the win in 1946 for the cat concerto So in the Cat Concerto, so in 1946, the Cat Concerto wins the Oscar. And the Cat Concerto is really cool. Tom is playing the piano and um, Jerry is causing mayhem. And while he's trying to get at Jerry, Tom is continuing to play music and trying to get the mouse that's in the piano with the hammers of the piano. Um, And interestingly enough, there was the cartoon at the same time released by Warner Brothers, starring Bugs Bunny, called Rhapsody Rabbit. And it's the exact same cartoon. (laughs) 
both shorts used identical gags. They both used the same piece of piano music, uh, Franz Litz, Hungarian Rhapsody Number no. 2. They both had similar endings. So this was, they were very much alike. Um, and of course, both MGM and Warner Brothers accused the other of plagiarism. They both submitted the film for the 1947 Academy Awards. Technicolor was accused of sending a print of either cartoon to the competitors, which then allegedly plagiarized the rival's work. Um, and even to this day, it's unknown who copied who. So Rhapsody Rabbit had an earlier copyright number and release date, but the Cat Concerto with Tom and Jerry had a more advanced production number, but they were all released at the same period. But they're both owned by Ted Turner now. Yeah. yeah it, so he owns both of them. So it doesn't really matter who stole from who because he owns them both. It's crazy how they are, they're basically the same cartoon with different cre- characters created at the same time by two different studios. And it's it's almost like kind of like one of those, some huckster went by and was like, hey, I got a script I'll sell you. And so exactly. <laughs> and sold it to both of them and they both ran with it. Like, hey, what? And they're pointing fingers at, you know, like, Hey, you stole from us, and there's, and I mean, like the guy's like he's riding on the train out of town, counting his wad of cash, and yeah, exactly, yeah. He goes, <laughs> like a, I sold the script to both of them. <laughs> he's gonna go sell. <laughs> he's gonna go sell a band to uh, the town down the street, down the. Down the <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> they get trouble right there in River City. <laughs> and the other one that that I thought was really cool is their their 1952 win, um, the Two Musketeers. So The Two Musketeers is a spoof of Alexander Dumas' 1844 novel, The Three Musketeers. Um, And the film adaptation features Jerry and Nibbles as Musketeers trying to raid the French king's banquet table, which is protected by Tom. Tom's the guard. And the word Musketeers was a bin of Musketeers, right? Mm -hmm. And this was three years before Disney would use the term Musketeer to describe the cast members of the television show, The Mickey Mouse Club. So again, here's a, another point in animation history where Tom and Jerry one-upped <laughs> Disney. So I thought that one was worth mentioning too. You know, they're all great. All their Oscar wins are great, but I thought those were, were really interesting. No, I, I agree with you. There are so many of these, I mean, and, and even the, the ones that get nominated, like the they all have really good components to them. Um, whether it's like you know a couple of really good gags or like a, an interesting kind of story that drives the narrative forward that sets up all the gags i mean some of it's actually i mean it's just really clever yeah you know it's beyond just entertainment you know these cartoons were were well written mm-hmm. uh, with you know it's it's mindly you know it's easy to say this is just mindless slapstick but they were well written and really thought out and they build a story throughout the short which is why they were so successful and why they won so many awards well and, it, and it's kind of crazy when you look at you know how many shorts they cranked out and figure out how many slapstick gags are in every single one of them and they're all different they don't really repeat the same thing over and over they're all like how how many different ways can we enter this cat it's it's, It's not like they just i mean they hit him with the frying pan a couple (laughs) times but it's not like they hit him with a frying pan every episode and and when they hit him with a a frying pan he's hitting a different way yeah they they found different ways to you know bend uh bend reality that to make him you know take 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 one to the face yeah my favorite use of the frying pan though is where jerry wedges the handle of the frying pan in the door jam and pulls it back and just <laughs> springs it forward and just slaps Jared, slaps Tom right in the face of it. 
I was thinking the exact same one. Oh, and the frying pan <laughs> takes the shape of Tom's face. It's just great. I mean, you know, it's easy to just swing the frying pan, but no, he wedges it in there and pulls it back and springs it forward <laughs> with extra force. I mean, the creativity behind it, you know, whether or not you like the slapstick, it is, there is so much thought and so much, uh, and to pull it off to actually, it's like you, you yes. get that you get the gag instantaneous by watching it. And you're like, well, wait, what actually happened? No, it's, it's very clear. Their, their success actually bled over into movies as well. So in 1944, Gene Kelly approached the animation studio because for his musical anchors away, he wanted a scene where he danced with an animated mouse. Now, his first choice was Mickey Mouse. And right. when they, re- they reached out to Walt Disney Studio and the Disney Studio turned him down flat, said, no way, we're not doing that. So yeah. <laughs> you go find you go find another cartoon mouse. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah. So, so as it happens, you know, this is 1944. It, the timing is just right. So suddenly MGM has their own animated mouse. So yeah. Kelly, Kelly reaches out to his company's own studio and they create Jerry and they actually, it's one of the most impressive, especially for its time, uh, film sequence, dance sequences where he dances with Jerry the mouse. And it's kind of like a, a Navy theme too, right? It's anchors away. Mm-hmm. It's the music they use and it's 1944 and it's patriotic and fun and, yeah, and it's, a little it's bit a- of escapism. And it's a, it's a, obviously it's a pseudo dream sequence because you know normally you don't dance with an animated mouse. But so yeah. it, 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 if I, mean, I ever get the chance, though, <laughs> I totally would do it. John, well, do you want to dance underwater with a cartoon mouse? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So if you, if, if nothing else, if you ever had a chance to, to to check it on YouTube because you can find it out there. It's it's it's, it's yeah. a really it's a really well done sequence and. What's even more impressive considering this is 1944, you know, you think of the accolades that Walt Disney Studios got for their penguin sequence in Mary Poppins, which was more than a decade later. Yeah. So, you know, that's, and and, and look, that's outstanding animation too, but this was, this was, this came first and yeah, but, and by a lot when Disney turned down the opportunity. And did it well. It's not like, Oh, they had this little thing 10 years ago. It was really good. Yeah. And it was 10 years ahead of Mary Poppins. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And then, and of course, then they, they would bring Jerry back in 1953, this time with Tom in tow. Uh, then they do a, a underwater swimming sequence with Esther Williams in the movie Dangerous When Wet. Again, obviously a dream sequence, nothing that's real, but it's... yeah. A little bit. And it, it's really neat to watch the way that, you know, Esther Williams is swimming and the way that they animate to react around her. So she's in there, she's swimming with a mermaid fin and they're like dodging out of the way. And it's, it's actually really, it's really clever. Yeah, it's neat because you really, you don't have to imagine very hard that they're underwater. I mean, it's obvious that they are swimming. You know, it's not like just the background looks like they're underwater. It, it looks and feels like, hey, they're underwater here. And yeah really cool just the way they move um in that kind of weightless environment mm-hmm. so yeah they they kind of expand their appeal a little bit and again it was kind of a nice asset just for mgm to have in their back pocket to pull out like that so their success continues all the way through through 54 their their animated shorts keep going fred quimby retires in 1955 and hannah and barbara step in as the new heads of the animation studio their timing is not ideal because <laughs> it, it, it no, no. it's, it's short-lived yeah, because uh, there's there's this thing coming 
into American culture. <laughs> well, and it's interesting. It's kind of a twofold issue. So first is, you know, post-World War II, the, the movie industry was already starting to change. The distribution shifted so that studios had less control over what theaters were taking, what it became less profitable to create these animated shorts. On top of that, this, I don't know, some newfangled contraption called a television showed up and people realized <laughs> that, you know, they can they can have their entertainment at home. They didn't have to keep going and you know go yeah. to the theater and make a, a a big deal out of it. They could just sit at home and watch stuff. So yeah, and we thought uh, Netflix was disruptive to the movie industry. <laughs> <laughs> this was a big change. Oh yeah, this this is yeah. significant because when you look at it in 1950, there's less than one in ten households owned a television set, and within the next decade nine out of 10 families would then have one. And, and that convenience was a major blow to animation, to, to animation studios, particularly, um, you know, the, the profitability wasn't there. And so studios began to shutter their animation arms and MGM was no different in 1957. Cause obviously with, with management forethought always being so successful, they look at that and think, well, we make enough money on these existing shorts. Why do we have to make more? So let's just, yeah. Forget it. Let's send these guys, get these guys out of there. I think they told uh, William Hanna one day he came in and said, all right, you just got to tell everybody they got to go home because you got to fire them all. Yeah. <laughs> so imagine, imagine coming in one day and you've got an entire studio and you got to send them all home. Yeah. yeah. Here, here's a box for your Oscars. And then here's a stack of pink slips. You go around and tell everyone to go home. <laughs> I mean, we've all had bad days, but wow. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, a, that's a brutal, brutal task. But yeah. yeah, happy Tuesday. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they they, sh they shut in their studio, and, and like I said, this is this is common. This is this is something that was happening regularly. It's going uh, on in the industry. All studios, um, animators are kind of losing jobs left and right. Um, Hanna Barbera would land on their feet. They would actually, based on some of the the connections they made through MGM, they actually started their own studio. Obviously, had a lot of success. Yeah, you know, they leave four years later. MGM realizes that. Why don't we have, why aren't we making money off these Tom and Jerry cartoons anymore? People want more of them. Why don't we have them? Oh, right. We don't sure. have an animation studio to make them anymore. <laughs> Remember that day where we <laughs> fired all the animators? <laughs> Let's go back to that. Hey, where'd everybody go? <laughs> so, so they look at, they look at their situation and realize, yeah, we need more shorts. And so they contract a European animation studio called Rembrandt Films, based in uh, Prague, Czechoslovakia. And the person, their contact there was Gene Deitch. So Gene actually worked in, in the United States for, for many years before moving over to Europe. And so they contacted him and contracted 13 Tom and Jerry shorts. And they so, did a great job with it, right? Depending on who you ask, yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> commercially, they actually, they were they were successful. And part of the, part of the, the that success is that there was the demand for for new tom and jerry i mean yeah. so they so, filled the need yeah the, the popularity of this of these cartoon characters can't really be understated they, it was significant there was demand and so there was a lot of commercial success but the critical success that the hanna-barbera cartoons had did not come for for gene deitch and so I mean, you look at the success in 61, Tom and Jerry series became the highest grossing animated short film series of that time. So up, up until that point, it had been Looney Tunes who was cranking out their series. Over six, after 16 years of Looney Tunes being the, uh, the big- Being animation. number one. Yeah, they're bumped to the side for their shorts. 
Tom and Jerry have that success. They repeated again the next year, you know, the 13 shorts ran over a couple of years. That, that's kind of where it ended. They, uh, you know, in hindsight, a lot of people are kind of, yeah, the Deitch ones aren't that good. Yeah, they're, they're not. Yeah, they're, they're, they're kind of like the, you know, the original Tom and Jerry were like the Ford and these Gene Deitch are like the Mercury version yeah, of, they... of, of, the, of the cartoons, <laughs> you know? So it's like, these were really awesome and they looked great, but now we're producing them in Czechoslovakia with this guy, Gene. And yeah, I'm hungry for them and I want them, but they're not quite the same. Yeah. Well, and you, and you wonder why he never really connected with Tom and Jerry when they assigned it to him and he said, well, I don't like these cartoons. <laughs> he, he never really... He didn't really understand the, the appeal of John and Jerry. He didn't like the, the slapstick style. Thought I mean, another guy thought violence was, it was too prominent. And then either he had an epiphany or he looked at the check that MGM wrote him and suddenly decided, nope, I can make these work. This and is okay. Yeah. I, I understand it now. I, I, get, <laughs> I, I, I get the more subtle aspects of the slapstick, but, <laughs> but, but you can see where that, where his kind of struggle to connect with the characters really is there in those, in those shorts. But um, yeah. So 60, 61, 62, the Deitch episodes are released and he goes away. They don't, they don't bring him back and kind of timing for, MGM, I guess, fortuitous for them, Chuck Jones was fired from the Warner Brothers studio. So if you're not familiar with animation, Chuck Jones is, is a rock star from, from the Looney Tunes cartoons. He was he worked there for over 30 years, defined with his style. I mean, very distinct animation look. Um, a lot of the, the techniques that became popular through the Warner Brothers cartoons, he had a hand in a lot of those things. So with him no longer at Warner Brothers, MGM jumped on it. Yeah, he's a free agent and let's get this guy. Yep. And so he he set up his own studio called Sib Tower 12 Productions. And MGM basically backed the truck up and said, hey, start making some Tom and Jerry for us because Looney Tunes, you know, they were not afraid of the slapstick style, obviously. So yeah. they they saw a natural fit with Tom and Jerry. And so between 63 and 67, he and his studio would churn out 34 new Tom and Jerry cartoons. Obviously much more well-received than the Deitch cartoons. Um, his style is very prominent. So if you go and look at the original MGM, the Hanna-Barbera, and then the Deitch, and then the, the Jones, the Jones ones are very distinct. And that time, Tom is much more streamlined. He's, uh, you know, he, yeah. he's, he's walking around on two feet, like with no problem. And yeah, yes. he, he almost looked, exclusively on two feet. Yeah, and he looks he looks a lot different. And actually, one of the things I always loved about that when I was a kid is if you ever watched this, you remember when they used to they'd start with the, the MGM title card, and then it would shift to Tom being in the middle instead of the lion being in instead the of the middle, lion. Yes, instead of being there, it was it was Tom, and he's meowing and hissing, and yeah, <laughs> those are the Chuck Jones shorts. Yeah, yeah, those are great. <laughs> so yeah, I mean. It, considered a, a definitely an improvement up from Deitch, but they were a kind of a mixed bag when it came to the critical accolades. Um, no Oscar wins or anything like that. But again, kind of some of his struggle with as much as his format kind of fit with Tom and Jerry, there was still a lot of stuff that didn't quite mesh with what he was used to doing. Yeah, very mixed bag, some very, very good stuff in it. But yeah, some stuff that's kind of forgettable. And he borrowed a lot from his old Warner Brothers days, too, that people could pick up on. Like, hey, I've kind of seen this in the 
Wiley Coyote Roadrunner cartoons. This all sounds a little bit familiar, mm-hmm. um, which may have confused the audience a little bit. Sure. Yeah. And one of the, the big things that you notice, what's uh, called the blackout. Yeah. And you saw that a lot in the the Wiley Coyote where, you know, there's an explosion and the base of the screen goes black and then it comes back. He used that. He kind of went to that a lot. That, that was not something you ever saw in Tom and Jerry before. So Jones would have a significant role moving forward and something that we'll talk about in a little bit here, talk about some of the controversy surrounding Tom Jerry, because his studio not only created new shorts, but they actually went back into those original MGM shorts and made some edits, cleaned up some scenes, removed elements, and uh, yeah, played played a played a, an important role moving forward. Yeah, an important role in the in the history of of Tom and Jerry. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, after all this setup, John, let's finally talk about the actual Saturday morning cartoon com- component yeah. of this. <laughs> Beginning in 1965. So at this point, 65, TV is is the thing. Um, you know, it, it, it is well established and Saturday morning cartoons started to appear. And so um, MGM decided, well, we have this catalog of these cartoons and we should be trying to capitalize on this audience that's no longer coming to the theater. These Tom and Jerry cartoons, the original 114 episodes that they created through Hanna-Barbera, began to appear on Saturday mornings, um, debuting on September 25th, 1965 on CBS. They ran for two years on CBS on Saturday mornings, and then they actually shifted them to Sunday morning. Then they actually shifted them to Sundays two years later, and they had stayed there until September 17th, 1972. So a significant run on weekends, shorts that were created for movie theater, suddenly became a Saturday morning cartoon. So they, they're on until 72, and then there's a, a little hiatus, and Tom and Jerry would come back in 1975 for the the Tom and Jerry show. Not, not, Which, a, big, not a big hit. Um, no, no, it wasn't the same at all. <laughs> so, because yeah. Because what, what everyone liked about Tom and Jerry was the slapstick, and they were, they were pitted at each other. You know, they were chasing each other and, and antagonizing each other, but now they're pals. And they go on adventures together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's no conflict. They're just, yeah, they're just traveling around the world together and hanging out. They're paired at one point with the Great Grape Ape. So it was the Tom and Jerry and Grape Ape show. I believe it was also, then they added Mumbly for another, for the second year. So it was 75, it was Tom and Jerry and the Grape Ape. And then in 77 or 76, it was Tom and Jerry, Grape Ape and Mumbly. So obviously yeah. Terry, Tom and Jerry aren't, aren't selling it by themselves on their Hands Across America tour. So it's... Uh, <laughs> They got to bring in a guest host. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, to say the format was not popular is uh, is a bit of an understatement. So after two years, they're they're back uh, back on the shelf. And again, of course, we talked about this when we talked about uh, Laugh Olympics. At this point, Hanna Barbera animation is dominating Saturday mornings. So yes. MGM is trying to carve out their niche, and it's also at a time when the outcry over cartoon violence and putting violence in front of children is kind of at its at its zenith at this point. So that's that was the idea. We're going to take away the uh, the slapstick and the violence, and mm-hmm. um, and the kids didn't like it. Go figure. Yeah, <laughs> well, I think in the you know by the late seventies, early eighties, you know, television had been around for a strong. 20 years and people were starting to recognize the effects that this media had on youth because the kids that were watching these in the 60s are starting to have kids of their own 
Um, they're adults now and they're looking around going, whoa, wait a minute. Maybe they shouldn't be watching this. Well, there's probably also a handful of like, hey, I remember watching these as a kid. Wait, what is this? Wait. <laughs> <laughs> whoa. <laughs> they're, just, they're just hanging out on a beach together. You're not watching this. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yes. Go outside. <laughs> <laughs> Tom and Jerry, I mean, they, they keep coming back. They come back in the early 80s. Um, the filmation studio would take a crack at them with some, with some shorts. They're on the shelf, but they keep coming back. And in the early 80s, the filmation animation studio took a stab at them. Um, not overly successful. They did you know, a couple of years and that were not well received. And so it's just, they're kind of languishing. And then Ted Turner steps in and obtains the rights. And then he starts re-airing all the full catalogs of shorts on his networks, particularly TBS and starting in 1986. And the popularity, again, those originals are the ones that keep selling it. Of course you mix in the, you know, those Deitch and the Chuck Jones cartoons too, but um, you know, the original format clearly was the big seller and you know it kind of reestablished them again and then we'll get to this probably over and over again when we talk about saturday mornings cartoons but this i guess it's a trend for some reason <laughs> late late 80s early 90s they so many studios decided to take their existing characters and just turn them into you know babies or little kids children yeah yes the, uh, a, a youth version of Tom and Jerry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, so the Tom and Jerry kids debuted on, on Fox Kids on in 1990, went through 94. Make them smaller, put a hat, a little baseball cap on Tom. And yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll it's get like, to yeah, that. <laughs> good try. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I'm not buying it. Yeah. So as much as uh, you know, the, the Muppet Babies were a popular thing, man, did they send a bad trend moving forward. <laughs> We'll blame it on them. <laughs> 94, that goes off the air. And then they are, they're gone until uh, 2006. Now the, the CW brings them back. So there's the Tom and Jerry tales for the kids WB on Saturday morning. Yeah, it, it's, it's there. Um, yeah. it, it runs for a couple of years and then goes well, and, away. Yeah. And in that time that they were gone, like from the early nineties to like 2006, there were a lot of imitators that you would run across like the Ren and Stimpy mm -hmm. show that, you know, kind of would borrow from Tom and Jerry, um, the itchy and scratchy show <laughs> on as part of the Simpsons, you know, which was a cat and a mouse chasing each other. But like, it was like Tom and Jerry on steroids, right? <laughs> Where they were really violent um, and really bloody, but, but you could tell that that was inspired by the Tom and Jerry show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and at this point, then the, uh, the Cartoon Network pops up, another Turner base station, and they start playing some of those those original shorts again. So Tom Jerry, at this point, they're still in the consciousness. They're still there for kids that um, to take in. You know, they're not as prominent. They're not getting their new shows on Saturday mornings anymore. But um, they're still there. New content is is kind of few and far between. But you know, the old standards are still really successful. Cartoon Network, speaking of, they would actually go ahead with their own new series after the the Tom and Jerry Tales went away. Um, a couple of years later, the Tom and Jerry Show. Obviously, we've had that title before. They they bring it back, and it, it runs for five seasons. And it's actually in terms of the Tom and Jerry with new content, 
that it was the longest running Tom and Jerry series uh, on TV. Not the obviously the original one that we've been talking about, the, the MGM originals, but no, this is all new episodes from beginning to end and five years. It's amazing to think a five year run is the best that Tom and Jerry could do. Yeah, <laughs> considering all the success they had, and it took 50 years. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they would show up. I mean, they made some movies here and there, and obviously, the, a brand new movie just released in theaters uh, this year. Yeah. So I think with the now that we know where Tom and Jerry have come from, I think we should kind of look at some of the the uglier aspects. Of, yes. And, and cringeworthy think, aspects. And, and, and the there's no logic, more logical place to start than uh, the Mammy Two-Shoes character who actually appeared in the very first short Puss Gets the Boot. So, yeah, so Mammy Two-Shoes is, is really the only human character, right, throughout mm-hmm. the show. Um, and she owns... Um, in Puss Gets the Boot, she owns Jasper the cat. Of course, Jasper becomes Tom the cat. So she's the owner um, in the household, and she's um, always disgusted with the antics of Tom and Jerry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And she uh, she's voiced by Lillian Randolph, uncredited. But Lillian Randolph was a fairly prominent African-American actress at that time. She is well known for her work on the Great Gildersleeve radio program and also the Amos and Andy radio show. Um, she was obviously there for the beginning. She stayed there through 1952 through push button kitty. Now her departure actually marked the end of that character. They didn't replace her. And the, the controversy around that character kind of was, was brewing a little bit for, for a couple of years, but really in 1949 is when it really kicked off. There was a, a push from the NAACP to remove the character altogether, um, obviously the, the the mammy stereotype very uh, ugh, there's some there's some pretty uh <laughs> I'll, I'll go ahead and say pretty awful yeah um, I mean, just just presentations some ridiculous things at one point she's uh she gets scared by the the mouse and so she pulls up her skirt and skirts there's multiple yes. skirts and yeah. suddenly like a switchblade falls out and just like oh are you kidding me yes yeah it was <laughs> Uh, very um, stereotypical. Yeah, the, um, the dialect was very. Um, yeah, yeah. If if the stereotype if a stereotype existed of a black housewife, they used it. Well, and it was, and it wasn't, and there was actually some some uncertainty too because she was listed as maid for a while. Um, so whether or not she was actually the homeowner, or she was just you know the the, the maid, the the servant essentially. Yes. Um, yeah. So that adds to that kind of uncomfortable <laughs> feeling when you're watching this because it's it's not clear um, as to what yeah. her role is. But when, and really, you never. I think they show her face one time. And it's actually really hard to see her, but it's mostly just her. You see her from her, her knees down, um, walking around in striped socks and slippers. Um, she yeah. changes outfits and there's a couple one, times. I- but- yeah, there's one where she's out playing cards or something. Mm-hmm. Um, she's out of the home, but she hears something and she's got to go run home and see what the cat and the, the mouse are up to. And as she's running down the street, you see her face just briefly for like a second. And it, it almost looks like a, a um, it almost looks like a, a depiction of blackface. Um, her face she's got the big earrings and a very prominent mouth 
um, and she's hustling down the street to see what what's going on. But you do see her face for a, a very short time. And that. Yeah. So they ran with with that character through 1952 with Push Button Kitty being her last. At that time, Lillian Randolph got a new job, um, yep. a, a different TV job. And with her departure, they picked that point, especially with the heat coming from NAACP to say, OK, well, let's just this character is just now retired. We're not going to we're not going to use her anymore. Yeah. And, and good riddance. Yeah, <laughs> um, it, w- it would not be the end of the controversy. Uh, oh. However, at least with that character, kind of put it to bed and hope that was the end of it. Um, it was not. <laughs> no, it was not. And in fact, they tried to, you know, replace her um, going back and editing some of the old episodes where Mammy Two Shoes appears and tried to make her a white woman. Um, and then a white woman with an Irish accent. And sometimes they made mistakes when they edited in the white woman, but still had the black voice um, and vice versa. There would be a a black character with a white Irish voice, um, which were just kind of lazy mistakes um, (laughs) that they made in some of those cartoons. Yeah. And, and, you know, going back and fixing old animation wasn't, that wasn't a, uh, a really defined science. I mean, that was, that was put on, Chuck Jones, we kind of mentioned him earlier. Yeah. Um, that was he was tasked not only with creating the new ones, but going back and, and re, kind of going through that rotoscope process of every scene with where the Mammy Two Shoes is, is is changing her color. And so that's yeah. where that that's where you see, especially with those early ones, that the 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 heavy set Irish woman there is now yeah replaced that that Mammy Two Shoes, and um, they would go in and, and get some of the you know. A quick snippet here or there they would remove but it was um not a not a perfect science and they did yeah it, it, well and it was a lot of work because it was yeah. all manual you know they didn't have adobe photoshop to yeah. fix these things yeah. um, they had to do it all manually you know frame by frame yeah. which which i'm sure was a huge undertaking mm-hmm. you know and speaking of of going back and fixing past mistakes there were there were a lot of instances in tom and jerry that needed to be fixed lots of lots of representation of you know blackface almost seemed like every chance they had where there was either an explosion or somebody fell into a pile of coal or mud um, they would come up blinking in blackface um, staring at the camera and that was the gag some instances where they imitated native americans uh, chinese there's one, uh, His Mouse Friday, which yeah, oh. I don't know what else to say about that. <laughs> His um, Mouse Friday. You know, that... Where Jerry shows up, Jerry takes the ash off of the outside of the cannibal's cooking pot and covers his face and turns himself into a cannibal, complete with a bone in his hair. And it's pretty awful. <laughs> yeah. And in, in, in that episode, I mean, to that point, Tom has been chasing him all over the place. Now he just puts himself in blackface and now Tom is afraid of him. Right. And and he ultimately scares Tom away. And then, yeah, as if that wasn't bad enough, they 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 end that episode with you know real the the real savage, the real cannibals. Yeah, the all all the blackface and oh man, is that a uh, not not surprisingly they don't air that on Cartoon Network anymore. No, and (laughs) actually the the laser disc um, set has all of the cannibal dialogue edited out because Jerry actually speaks 
in that and tells Tom, get in pot, get in pot, yeah, cut potatoes, you know. So they edited all of that out, yeah, uh, which yeah. is a good try, but still, just <laughs> it maybe should the whole episode should just should have gone away. Yeah, there's there's so many relies so much on violence and explosions like they do that blackface gag was basically a crutch they could go to that it was a quick you know two second two second gag and then move on to the next thing i mean at no point is it okay no but but it was it was an easy an easy laugh for for an audience at that time which is yeah which is also unfortunate that that made people laugh yeah you know my problem was that it's really not needed to make the cartoon no. entertaining. You know, no. the, the slapstick was their bread and butter. That's what made it. But, you know, using this gag, A, is horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but like you said, it's kind of a crutch. Like a comedian like Jerry Seinfeld doesn't swear mm-hmm. in his stand-up because he thinks that's a cheat. You know, anyone can swear and get someone to laugh. You know, and that's similar in, in using these, these blackface and the minstrel um, stuff. It, it was it was a quick, cheap way to get a laugh. Yeah, and, and for the most part, that's what these were. They were, um, and it's not an excuse at all, but that none of them were, with the exception of, of His Mouse Friday, it, none of those were the, the blackface, uh, none of those were narrative elements that, that drove the story. They were just quick gags. They were throwaway right. gags. Yeah, um, I mean, and if you cut them out, the story doesn't change. Well, and, and the same can be said about the Mammy Two-Shoes character, really nothing about that character. I mean, and, and it's evident in, in terms of the way that they replaced her, they, they drew her out and just replaced her with a different character. Her being a stereotypical Mammy character did nothing to improve. I mean, her character was was a, a simply a foil to set up some of the action or set up some of the storyline, but she, being, she did not have to be a Mammy character. Uh, or be that stereotype in order to, to set up the stories or to drive the narrative forward. And, and I think, that, I mean, and again, that's obvious by the way that they were able to, to replace her. We, you and I were talking uh, briefly before we started about how I, I made the mistake of digging into some like re, you know, reviews on, on DVDs and, yeah. and um, talk about people who are, who are complaining because, well, they don't share these anymore. Why, why did they get rid of the Mammy, the Mammy character? I remember that and I didn't grow up racist. I'm, like, I'm not so sure you did <laughs> <laughs> but, but but part of it is it's like well if if it, if not having that character bothers you so much or, or it ruins your enjoyment of of these of these cartoons i don't think i don't think what you like I, I guess i'm not sure what you really like about those cartoons when they take out the racist elements and you don't think it's enjoyable anymore right <laughs> yeah to, just a simple fact to saying well i watched that when i was a kid and it was fine well no it wasn't fine and you're an adult now and you should know it's not fine yeah but yeah yeah i agree with you that's um yeah you can start reading those comments <laughs> you can go to some dark places <laughs> yeah. yeah and and of course it's not all the blackface ones really stand out but i mean they still yeah there's chinese references there's uh, native american references that crop up and they're unpleasant and uncomfortable to watch at this point um yeah for the most part to their credit kind of their credit mgm has either made the edits and removed them or they've kind of you know they're not they're not something like i said you can't really find those on a lot of their their platforms whether it's no cartoon network or like the boomerang um streaming service they have a lot of those the the truly offensive ones are, are not available except through a dvd set yeah 
Well, in the DVD set, they include a disclaimer um, with Whoopi Goldberg um, ahead of all the cartoons where she explains um, that, you know, explains the depictions, the African-American representations in the cartoon series. However, stereotyped was part of American culture then. It wasn't okay then, and it's not okay now, but it was part of the art that they were creating. Um, and it was part of the classic um, slapstick comedy team of Tom and Jerry. And um, while it is not okay, it was part of it. And they decided to present it in that DVD set mm-hmm. um, as a whole, but but really took a chance to educate. And I think Whoopi did a great job explaining it and saying, you know, it's not okay, but here it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she's not lecturing. It's just kind of like, you know, this is, you look at what we know today versus what the accepted idea was then. It's, you know, yeah, we just need to, you know, stay, make sure that we stay educated. And this is one way to do it. Yeah, you know, she she talks about being educated about, hey, this happened. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to learn or get any better just making it all go away and forgetting it. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to know that th- th- these things were included. So yeah, I, th- I thought that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that they did a nice job with that. I mean, it's it's pretty short and to the point, but it's it's effective, I think. Yeah. But so we've kind of talked about the ugly. Yeah, <laughs> we, yeah, I we, think we covered that. <laughs> we, we've jumped the gun on the ugly. We've skipped the good and bad. So let's go back. Uh, when you go back and look at these these original uh, 114 episodes, um, that that first Saturday morning, yeah, sequence. Uh, what's what sits out to you as, as the good what what did you like from these um the good to me is that tom and jerry were a great comedy duo um they were a slapstick comedy duo um that has been imitated um you know the sincerest form of flattery imitated in a lot of other cartoons obviously have staying power these cartoons still make people laugh you know, from the forties to today, um, even 80 years later. Yeah. I, I think that's pretty incredible, mm-hmm. um, that there's a, a comedy duo and an art form out there that is going on 80 years old and it still makes people laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, that, that's great. Yeah. And so actually what I really like about it, it, you know, really some of those gags are really, I think they're still hilarious today. And actually, um, case in point is in the the very first one the puss gets the boot <laughs> i mean the se- sequence i can think of is is so mammy two shoes is standing on a chair and tom is chasing jerry around her on <laughs> yes. the chair, and, and she's got a broom and every time they go by she takes a swat at jerry and she misses and hits tom in the head so it's <laughs> whack 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 you know the, the comedy rule of three she hits him three times and so the, yeah. the fourth time tom and, and, it, and it's the animation the way they draw it is so perfect that he he catches he stops and catches the broom as she's swinging because it's going to hit him in the head and yeah. his look of just like what are you doing this isn't working <laughs> It's like I love this. my favorite part is how he kept coming around the third time to get hit. <laughs> yeah, it took him the fourth time to finally stop it. <laughs> but it's just such you know, it's it's such a simple thing, but it's just so well executed and so funny. Yeah, and it's so cool that if you did it today with different characters, you'd still get a great laugh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and actually one of the another one that I really like, and we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, right? When you add these other characters in, it changes some of that that the dynamic and then the one in the solid serenade is one where Tom goes to, to Toodle's house. Cause he's trying to serenade her and he's, 
he sneaks past Spike, who's the guard dog, and he gets out his big, um, <laughs> big stand-up bass, and he starts singing the Louis Jordan "Is You Is" or "Is You Ain't My Baby," yeah. and that that song that that short may or may not be responsible for how much I love jazz yeah. as an adult. <laughs> <laughs> i mean i love louis jordan and i love jazz and that one yeah that one i've, I've always remembered that cartoon and maybe for that song alone but and then of course jerry lives at Tootle's house he's not in tom's house so now so he's kind of like trying to get spike to to find out that he's there and chase him so there's this whole other dynamic where you know tom's not even in his house and it's and just some of the some of the gags in that one are really clever and it, and it ends by um Spike turning uh, Tom into a big standalone bass and playing him and kind of mocking playing him. him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, just some of the gags and just like you know, to to take so much slapstick and set it up in so many different scenarios and make it work. Yeah, it's actually, it's just really impressive. Mm -hmm. So what? Uh, let me hear your bad. Um, part of it is, and, and I, I'll fully cop to this. It might be that be going back and watching one episode after another as we're kind of kind of gearing up for this podcast is it gets old <laughs> watching one on top of the other and like okay well there's another frying pan and they hey, they did it differently but it's still a frying pan <laughs> and, yeah. and some of it and, and and me being older and kind of looking at you know the violent level the violence level where you know he's like chasing I mean, he's like going after Jerry with the with a she, like a garden shears, and he's mm -hmm. I mean, he's really he, trying to injure him. Yeah, the intent is real. Yeah, <laughs> so like it's it's a little bit you know obviously you knowing it's a cartoon and nothing. Yeah, yeah, and it didn't phase me much as a kid, but as I don't like goodness, that, he could hurt yeah. him. See, he could really hurt him doing that. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So, so so some as much as I, I like I like the gags, some of the slapstick to me is it gets old. And yeah, I, you know, slapstick in, in in doses is good. I think in eight sure. minutes, in eight minute uh, runoff of it, it, yeah, it feels a bit heavy. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting because it's a different experience now, right? Watching them on demand, absolutely. You know, when when they were released as shorts in the theater, you maybe saw a Tom and Jerry cartoon once every three months. Mm -hmm. You know, you'd see maybe three or four of them a year. But now, I mean, you could watch hours and hours of it on end. Um, yeah, and it would kind of tire after you after 30 minutes of that. Yeah, well, how yeah, about you? Um, what, what was the bad to you? For me, the bad was when the Tom and Jerry show came back on and they were pals. <laughs> and, and traveling the world. I'm like, what? What do you mean they're friends now? <laughs> I mean, they didn't even make up. All of a sudden, they're just friends. And this goes against everything I know about these two characters. And, and you're almost waiting for them to, you know, just say, ha ha, fooled you, and just slam each other, you know, but it never happens. Uh, so to me, that kind of just, I'd rather just forget about that whole, that whole series of Tom and Jerry as friends. <laughs> Well, and it never just, it just never really clicks. So that's, no. know, if they found a way to do it, that was entertaining, then like, oh yeah, I could, I could see this, but it, it doesn't, it just doesn't work. No. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the bad for me. Okay. Well, so I guess, yeah, come, we get to our rating. I mean, is this, is this a good cartoon? What, what do you rate it out of a 10? Um, I think it's a good cartoon. Um, just because 
well, obviously critically acclaimed winning, winning all the Oscars and making the transition from theatrical shorts to television um, and remaining popular. Um, I have to discount it a little bit because of the ugliness <laughs> of some of the old cartoons, but I'm still going to give it, I'm going to give it a seven okay. out of 10 just because I have to give it such a big discount. <laughs> But but it's classic slapstick, mindless entertainment comedy um, that I really liked. Yeah, to, to me, uh, I'm in a similar boat. I'm actually lower than you. I, I came in at a six. Um, okay. Part of it's you know part of it's you know the the appeal to me is the history. Obviously, we we spent a long time talking about the history and really digging yeah. into this. Well, there uh, was a lot of history yeah. in this one, and, and yeah, not only the 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 history behind it, but the the impact it's had um on other animation and and the role it plays is not is not small by any means and so and i remember watching them as a kid and and, and enjoying them but I've, i never really loved it um and i think part of it comes down to you know part of it's the ugly that we talked about mm-hmm. um it's hard at this point now as we look back on it to, to really yeah, to swallow that but it's also it's also that that repetition and the you know the amount of slapstick to me personally it's it's more than i'm yeah i'm really enjoying i i, I like yeah i i'm not above slapstick i just yeah the, the when it's all slapstick it it gets it gets it get, gets a bit much so as sure. much but that said there's some some really like i said some really good gags and there are some really good shorts out there that they they find a way to be a little bit different and really make it stand out but not enough to get it any higher than a six to me yeah okay great well this one was fun because there was so much history yeah to this one our our next episode um there isn't a lot of history (laughs) but i'm really really excited about it just because it's so fun to talk about you better believe it brother (laughs) so we are if you haven't guessed um (laughs) <laughs> through Robert's impersonation. And there's oh. no way you should have guessed this. Because... Yeah. <laughs> so there was a cartoon version of Hulk Hogan's ego available on Saturday morning cartoons. Uh, yeah. So we'll be talking about Hulk Hogan's rock and wrestling, which is a, we hit into the eighties, the time when um, FCC regulations have loosened and it's all about commercializing and making money off of cartoons as opposed to just flat out entertaining. And suddenly the WWF at that time, now the WWE, but the World Wrestling Federation stepped in and claimed their, put their flag down on the uh, Saturday morning uh, for better or worse. Yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> it's great because the introduction is, is real life Hulk Hogan, you know, walking through the streets of some city and he's being crowded and mobbed and he's this big hero. And the cartoon has all of your favorite wrestlers from the original WWF, the good guys and the bad guys and the outrageous clothes. And it's just a lot of fun. Um, I don't want to spoil it any further, but I'm really excited about it because this stuff just makes me smile. Not not because it's good, not because it's bad, not because it's funny, but it just makes me smile. It's all about the entertainment value. Yes. For, for better or worse. Right. <laughs> okay. So that is next. Well, great. I, I enjoyed this one. This was good. Well, I hear mom. I think it's time for, uh, for us to go outside. So that means cartoon time is over. I'm John. 
I'm Robert. And this is Toon Talk. Hey, thanks for listening. If you want more Toon Talk, you can find us on Twitter at Toon Talk Guys. Or if you've got questions, comments, or suggestions, you can email us at toontalkguys at gmail.com.